Hey everybody, my name is Alex, and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. Thanks to everybody who listened to my last regular episode on which takes place on Thursday on Lou Over the Wall, and thank you everybody who has been listening to my last Sunday edition, which was on Iyashke anime, and if you don't know what that is, because you either haven't listened to the episode or you don't know those episodes exist yet, there's special episodes every Sunday called Sunday Special Edition. Um, it's called Lunchbox Sunday. Actually, it's called Lunchbox Sunday Edition. I can't believe I fucked that up. But they're basically they are more generalized episodes about like overarching things in anime and the anime industry and all that stuff. Um, so I wanted to say here that my next episode, my next Sunday edition episode, will be on what I'm calling Build-A-Theater, which is how you can build your best anime viewing experience in your own home, which is super helpful considering many of us are bound in our own homes currently, (laughs) Um, including me. But... That said, why don't we get into what we're talking about today, because it's going to be a doozy, and that is Samurai 7. Now, for those of you who are familiar with Japanese cinema, you know, and even those of you who are not familiar with Japanese cinema, you know there's a movie called The Seven Samurai. It is one. It is famous. It is world-renowned. It is, like, the... It, it is the, the Japanese film most people know. And one of that reason, one of the reasons that Seven Samurai is one of the films that people know, which is directed by Akira Kurosawa, um, is because it's got such a long, a like long, in a like long lasted story of 
villagers need to be protected from bandits who, in the case of Seven Samurai, threaten to take their rights and women. Um, and they um, go out and they hire seven, seven, seven Samurai, exactly how the word, exactly the name of the film. But, and they, and they hire them, I believe, in the actual film for rice because they're poor villagers. But um, it, this movie has been made, had been, re, had been remade several times in several different iterations and was notably in the West remade into The Magnificent Seven, which if you notice that there was a Magnificent Seven movie that came out fairly recently, like in the past couple years, that's a remake of an adapt of an of a Western ad, adaptation of the film Samurai Seven, and it follows point for point the same thing. They just sub out samurai for cowboys, and like a rice paddy village for like a down on its luck Western town, old West town, and so. Clearly, The Seven Samurai is a story worthy of being told over and over again because it is, it's a good story. If you want to have a real fun time, you can go watch um, the, you can go watch the um, YouTube channel Nightly Breadsword. I believe it's Nightly Breadsword. He does a breakdown of why a Bug's Life is just the Seven Samurai told through Pixar. Um, and it, it really is. It really fucking is. Let me tell you, it, like, he, he is like, at the end of that video, you're like, oh, they just made, they just made Seven Samurai for kids and with bugs. Um, so, obviously, it's been adapted and reinterpreted and remade over and over and over again. But one of the key things that um, they did in each of those remakes is it's always a film. And one of the reasons why you want to adapt, why you want to either adapt or remake a film into a film is because you have to be really careful about how you stretch things out when there's a story because there's the right way to do it and there's the wrong way to do it. And one and like I said, one of the reasons why the all the adaptations or remakes or whatever of Seven Samurai has always been a has largely been a film. There was a video game that I quite liked called Seven Samurai Two Thousand XX. For the PlayStation Two that came out in the early south, in the early two thousands, and it was like a future take on Seven Samurai, which is actually also what Samurai Seven is, which we'll get to in a second. But the thing with Seven Samurai with Two Thousand XX is, even though I like the game mostly because I like the visuals of a of a samurai movie being interpreted as like a future as like a future cyberpunk thing. I mean that's 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 I'm I'm all about that. Come on. If you've listened to this podcast for a while, come on. 
Um, but the thing about that game is it actually really, it really, it tended to drag on for long periods of time because you go from, you, it was an open world game, it was a somewhat linear open world game, and you fought as, I forget the name of the character, but you fought as, a, as like a dual wielding bladed character against enemies, and the thing that saved it was the gameplay was good enough where... Yes, it dragged the story on significantly. I never finished that game, but it dragged the story out. It stretched it out a lot, but you were participating in it, so it felt less onerous. Um, one of the unfortunate parts of most of most every of most every kind of screen-based entertainment outside of video games is that they're what's called passive. What I mean is when you... And this is one of the things that streaming the streaming platforms can't quite nail. Other, and the reason why they... why they love things like... Um, continue, I, like um, autoplay and why things are designed to be binged because what they're trying to do on a service like Netflix when they have when they have autoplay automatically turned on and they make these series and they release a series all at once is they're trying to get you to engage in passive entertainment and what that means is they don't want you they want you touching the controls just to get to that piece of entertainment and then no more and that means that basically you sit back in the chair and you zone out and you watch House of Cards. Or in my case right now, you zone out and you draw and you watch Atlanta for like a couple hours. Just a couple hours. And a couple hours go by and you have been entertained without having to really participate other than holding your attention on the screen for long enough. I, and the reason why all that works with something like Netflix is it those shows are created to be like that. B Stars is the way entertainment is produced for Netflix is so drastically different than even something like Hulu, which is technically entertainment that should be on a TV that is on a TV as well, is geared towards you want someone to sit and watch this thing for hours. You, you want someone to sit and watch it for so long that Netflix asks you, Hey, are you, are you still alive? Is there a heartbeat in there? Um, <laughs> which it's like required to do, not by law, but like by moral standards. So they can't, so someone can't come at them and say like, you're making people slave to screens. And then if somebody does say that, they're like, ah, we asked them like every 10 episodes or something, we like, hey, you still alive there, bud? Um, but those shows are all engineered to be like that. And one of the reasons why adaptations are often one-to-one is actually because stretching something out, like I said before, is really intensive. You have to be really careful with the little pieces, that, with the 
pieces that you add into something in order to make it feel, in order to make it be a longer thing, but still feel exactly the same. To give you an idea, um, one of probably the best shows on right now, I don't know if it's ended, but I bet it hasn't, one of the best live-action shows on right now is a show called High Fidelity, which is an adaptation of a book that was adapted into a movie starring John Cusack and is now a TV show. I forget what channel it's on. But in the TV show adaptation, they've changed the main character from a male character to a female character, and they've they've changed the cast to be female-centric instead of male-centric. And it's still... But because they've written the characters exactly the right way, they still feel like the same characters. They have, and up until a certain point in the show, they have approximations of all the scenes from the movie and that probably also tie back to the book. Um, And they're really careful to make sure that those characters stay true in every situation they're in. But once they go past the book, those characters still act, go past the material that you're, that I'm, was familiar with from the movie, they, those characters still act the same way. They are effectively, they are effectively expanding the world of the story of high fidelity. And that is really impressive because whether you realize it or not, those characters, they are taking a huge risk by going past the content that is visu- that was visually represented in movie form because they are saying, okay, we know you love the movie. We know that you can like go line for line with the movie and we've let you do that for like the first 12 episodes or whatever it is of the show. Now we're going to move on. And now we're going to show you these characters in more and more situations and make it like progressively weirder and funnier. And that com- an opportunity comes with that, but also a risk. The opportunity is that once you're out of the established canon of the movie slash book, you can... As long as you keep the characters like whole, like wholly formed characters that you that the viewer is familiar with, be them new or old, no one will ever know. No, like the people who will know won't care because they'll have more of the thing they love, aka me. The people who don't know have now experienced all the stuff that they didn't know from the movie or the book. And also, they're experiencing more and more and more and more and more. But the risk there is is that you don't nail it. And if you want to look at something from anime that had this, I don't want to say problem, but issue, like a slight picadillo, you can look at something like um, Full Metal Alchemist and Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Brotherhood, Brotherhood is a full adaptation of the Full Metal Alchemist story directly from the manga. 
just straight Full Metal Alchemist is an adaptation of Full Metal Alchemist, the manga, to a point. And then they outpaced the manga's publication. And if you ever like, why did Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood happen so quickly after the manga, after the original Full Metal Alchemist? It's exactly for that reason. The Full Metal, the original Full Metal Alchemist show, I think, it came out in like two thousand four in America, and the Brotherhood, I think, came out in like two thousand nine or ten. 2009, 2009, because I was in college, and me and my f- other uh, old Taku friend, Christian, were having, like, an existential fucking crisis about Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, because we're like, but it's all the same! What it, it, His hair is blonder. His hair is blonder. We were convinced. <laughs> my friend Lauren, who has been on this podcast, um, notably to talk about e- Evangelion, was like, you guys are fucking losing it. Are you okay? And we're like, Lauren, hair is blonder. That's why they remade it. They wanted to give him blonder hair. We found the solution. Um, but that was made to correct not the sins, but the missteps of the original show because the original show has a totally anime original ending, and if you look at the end of Brotherhood and you look at the end of um, 2004 Full Metal Alchemist, the ends are totally different because one is the one is the animation staff just making up their own anime original ending, and the other is the actual canon written by the mangaka ending. And the reason why I bring that up is because that is of um what's the word a version of adaptation where the old product isn't bad like the original full metal alchemist is not a bad show it's just not the right show if that makes any sense the new one is deeply it's very good i wouldn't say it's like top ranked anime of all time but it is very good and because they had source material that they were closely following, it gets to go places and hit harder than the original one did. It still has all the like hits from the original Full Metal Alchemist, but it adds on that because it has a clear story path. You want a really dramatic example of how to fuck this up, you can look at Game of Thrones. Once they went off the rails of Game of Thrones, once they like had no more books to guide them, uh, shit got really weird really fast because they were relying on the drama of stuff, not on the, not on what, how those characters would actually behave in a setting. And that brings us to, unfortunately, Samurai 7. Now, like I've said, Samurai 7 is an adaptation of The Seven Samurai. I believe, I think it's like a 50-year anniversary project. It's an anniversary project of some kind. And it seeks to adapt the movie into a 26-episode show. And now, full disclosure here. I've seen, I've attempted to watch the show all the way fucking through multiple times. I think I've done it once. I don't remember. 
may have blocked it out. But I don't generally make it all the way through, and I didn't this time, because it's more than a little agonizing. It's, I've made no bones on this show about saying that every once in a while, more, every once in a while, usually once every couple seasons, I get the urge to watch something god-awful. I did this, and I watched Queen's Blade one time. I've watched other deeply awful things. I spent, like, probably a whole year at least watching Black Clover every Monday morning at the crack of fucking dawn when I woke up because there was something wrong in my heart. <laughs> I since, I since, like gotten off the wagon of that show and everybody who's like you should really get on the wagon it's got some i'm like no fuck you but the, the thing about black clover and what makes it bad is that it's it's so rote and it's so every shonen you've seen before in some way but with like a new weird veneer over it and like a power system that's boring that I just I I could see where that show was going, and any time I didn't see where that show was going, it went in such a stupid direction. And I'm like, uh, I don't really care. But the thing with Samurai Seven is that it's not it's not even that it's dumb. It's that it's largely boring and cruel, if that makes any sense. What I mean by that is the the titular seven samurai of Samurai Seven are like. So first off, let me um let me set this show up a little bit. This is a sci-fi reimagining of the Samurai Seven story, and you open up on. You, first thing in the show, you open up with a with a um in a village that's being harassed by what they call bandits, but are basically giant fucking robots with like price giant price scanners that scan their rice fields, and the bandits are not so much harassing them, but they are doing the giant price scans of, like, for, like, miles at a time of their rice field, and they're keeping an eye on them, and you don't, you don't see, you don't see what's going to happen to them, you only, you only hear, oh, no, the bandits are going to come and take all of our, like, of age and not of age women, and, like, all of our rice, and we'll be left to starve and die. The sections of the show that spend time with the with the rice farmer village have a very tell but don't showness to them that is not not great. It's just not great because it doesn't have it doesn't have it, what it could do is it could show that it could have a start at, with a flashback 
and then jump forward. So you see all the stuff that comes up later in the show when you are when they want when they want you to care about it. But instead of saying so there's a character, there's a side character in the show who um who you've come to find out sold his was basically forced by his own wife to sell his wife to the bandits. And the bandits, uh, the other thing about the bandits is they are largely faceless. When you see a bandit, and when you see like a head bandit, he is like a giant suit of armor that looks like a, a giant floating robot that looks like all the other giant floating robots you've fucking seen. So it's not like you can pick him out of a crowd and be like, that one. That's the boss. That's the bad guy. It's just like, oh no, giant fucking robot. Great. Awesome. Um, and, but you find out that this guy was, his wife left to protect, left with the bandits essentially to protect the village. But because you don't see that, when he tells you that, it kind of hit in this like big dramatic moment. What might feel like what if you had seen it firsthand would feel like a like moment where like he was trying to like take revenge for his wife because in fact he was. It gets turned into this like slightly melodramatic wet, wet fart of like, why is this guy fucking trying to charge these giant robot nightmare murder people? He's just gonna die. He's gonna get everybody else he knows killed. God damn it. Um, and the... So, I should also mention this. If you're going to have a... Amazing... If you're going to have a amazing anniversary project done, there is one studio you should avoid. You should avoid taking your project of that magnitude to Gonzo. And I've said this before on this show, but there's like an infamous thing with Gonzo. And actually, it's an infamous thing that informs the way lots of animation, lots of anime studios work with their project, but usually the drop-off is not so fucking severe. Gonzo as a studio, has the ability to make something memorable for three episodes. And then after that three episodes, it's like everything shits the bed simultaneously. And the show's become a combination of boring, poor, like poorly produced, and like slow as shit. And the reason why I say that is because there's a there's a pattern that most Gonzo that most to all Gonzo shows that I've seen has followed. Like, oh, it made it three episodes, and now I don't care for it. <laughs> this show very much does that. When they are, um, maybe with the exception of the nightclub episode, which is kind of fun, um, and interesting, and has one of the better character designs in the show. Um, so, the thing about 
Seven Sam about Seven Samurai. Is it came out in the early what's called DigiPaint days? Uh, or Samurai Seven. It came out in the early DigiPaint days, and that means it's got a very flat. Um, it's got a very f flat. Um, what's it called? It's got a very flat aesthetic to it. Stuff isn't stuff isn't so much shaded as you know what's like ahead or below. Uh, you, you you know what stuff is supposed to look like. The designs are this combination of like a weirdly cyberpunk and like anime fandom and samurai like era Japan and it, they don't the best the the best design character is the big red guy who I forget his name but he is for all intents and purposes the um the the butt of the joke for most of the show because he's just this big he's this big um he's this big he, he's this big robotic samurai who is who the lead character just straight up don't acknowledge as a samurai like he carries around a giant sword he seems to have from the second go he seems to have some level of a depth skill that like you're led to believe that some people don't and it's it's just like it's not it, it, it doesn't it doesn't track that he is treated like an idiot when oftentimes, especially in the first three episodes, the reason that, like, the cast gets away is because of some form of his actions. It doesn't track that the, like, leader of the seven, of the seven samurai that they pick is, is like, such a, like, dismissive jerk to this guy. And he, um, Shimada Kambe is the, is the, like, super skilled war veteran samurai that you see that who the water priestess from the village is like, this guy, this, this is the first one. We found our first one. And then you have to spend time convincing him, which just makes him feel like a vague asshole. And then all of a sudden he's convinced. And then they go hunting for other samurai. The first one they pick up is, um, is, is Kikucho, is Kikucho, the, the big red the like big red and yellow robot samurai guy and he 
it's like a big hearted oaf. And it makes you feel bad for, and you feel bad for him whenever they like pick on him because he like I said, he has a level of skill with his sword that would be like, why why are we shitting all over this guy when but we're like trying to look at um Katsushiro, who is the surge, who is like the third samurai, as this like budding pupil who can't like pull his shit together lots of times. And at why, um, like, why, um, uh, what's his face? Um, why. Waikambe is like, you two really shouldn't call yourself samurai. He still treats Kasushiro better than he treats Kikuyoji, even though Kikuyoji in the first two episodes does more to like protect the group and protect the water priestess and all of them than... Katsushiro does because Katsushiro just doesn't have the training or the knowledge or the like huspa to get the job done and like it's like the the whole cast with the exception of um Heihachi is largely abusive towards Kikuyoji and it's like, why, why are we being a dick to him? All he want, all he's ever wanted to do is help. What the fuck? And you're led to believe that, like, the reason why they're being, a, part of the reason why they're being a dick to him is because he's, like, given his body over to, like, being a robot samurai, which is a thing that samurai could do in this universe. But, like, he never... He never freaking has done a bad thing in the show, especially by the first three episodes, that warrant people being like, you're a douchebag and I hate you. And it feels like that's what they do to him constantly. And so the Water Priestess name is... Um... Is... Is Kiara, and they 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 play up the like romance angle between him, between her and Kasushiro, and they want to be like this budding romance, and it just it feels it doesn't feel forced. It feels genuine, but it doesn't feel it doesn't slot in quite right for whatever reason but uh, by f so far uh, of the of the seven samurai probably the most interesting one is gorobe and i just i i don't i don't have the patience to make it to his to whatever his arc is to whatever his flashback shows but gorobe is uh, he is a Former samurai who has, like, renounced his title and became a street performer and uses his, like, 
amazing samurai talents to like do death-defying acts of heroism as street performances, like catching an arrow before it hits in between the eyes, or like all kinds of other chicanery. And he is probably, other than Kambe, the most skilled samurai of the group at the point at which I just couldn't, I just fucking couldn't. And he... He's also the most interesting because he's very much like I really don't want to, like he don't he just he doesn't want to kill people. He tries to lighten the mood at all points at all points always. He is really but it, it's very clear that he has fucked some people up in the past. The, the the thing that hurts the like Kambe character is he's so dark and so like wandering Ronin samurai you know shamed by his past that it's like and everyone and everyone looks up to him so much that it's like it doesn't it doesn't matter whether he's right or wrong you just want him to be wrong because it. it He's this stereotype of like a somber samurai that I, I just don't just doesn't doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Like they want these like somber they want like samurai stereotypes to work in this show much the much the way they work in um Roni Kenshin, actually. But the thing with Kenshin is Kenshin uh is with Rowan Kenshin is that it it's primarily a love story. It's not about it's about a samurai who falls in love with like uh with a kendo dojo teacher as the as the age of the samurai is dying off. It, it Rowan Kenshin is about the last of the samurai struggling to let go of their of their life basically and you know in Kenshin's in Kenshin's case it, it is Kenshin wanting to let go of his life but also realizing that he has like fucked up the world by being a killer for decades <laughs> And trying to write and trying to write wrongs that he had done that he had done in the past all along the way, but the thing the reason why the like samurai stereotypes of like the types of samurai that you see in Kenshin don't rub you the wrong way is that they aren't is that to be a samurai in Kenshin is to be like someone of like some amount of skill with a sword and to be this kind of samurai that is highlighted in Kenshin to be of an extreme amount of skill with a sword. It, that's not, that's there's a lot of mythologizing about samurai that go on, that goes on. And were there probably some deeply skilled sword men in the like idea of being a samurai in 
the Edo era? Probably, yes. But the reality is, is that they were soldiers. They were soldiers or they were generals. They were, like, bodyguards. All this stuff at the behest of, you know, daimyo, shogun, basically fancy royal Japanese imperial Japanese landlords before, you know, they, before there was an emperor or before there was a shogun. And on some level, they were a dime a dozen. You know, if you could fit in the armor and you could hold a sword, congratulations, you were a samurai, go out and die. And while... Ruling Kenshin over over mythologizes it in the same way actually that if you've ever seen the live action film, um Dadoichi the Blind Killer kind of mythologizes that character. Um Roy Kenshin mythologizes Kenshin and also all the enemies he fights. It it, it makes for a more um the best word for this. A more compelling storyline than Seven Samurai where they constantly show you all these other samurai and all these other former samurai who are just dime a dozen thugs. And the Seven Samurai that the um, that Kiara and her two attendants Rikichi and the kid Komachi, um, Rikichi is the guy who, as I said, sobbed about his wife leaving with the bandits to save the village instead of the show showing it to us instead. Because, you know, why would you want to spend extra budget on a special anniversary project for the biggest Japanese movie on the planet? (laughs) God damn it, Kondo. Fucking god damn it. I, it, it, they make, they do a good job of making it, of making you understand that they, that these samurai are truly talented and truly skilled, um, with, with a katana, with a blade, and they all carry all different kinds of blades. The, I, the thing I will say that is similar between Kenshin and this show that is really good is they don't define samurai as holds the katana and cuts good. They define a samurai as is immensely ta- holds a holds a blade of some kind and can have the capacity to fight. Um, but they. It just, the thing feels like it falls flat. And when I was talking about um, high fidelity, what I was saying is the most true of this show in the opposite direction. They chose to make this show and stretch it out. But the stuff that's in the middle of all the plot points that existed in the original movie don't fucking matter that much. They're more than a little boring and definitely obnoxious in some cases. And, like, not... 
they don't feel like they'll come up again. That makes any sense. They feel like in an epilogue they would come up again, but not in like the actual rest of the show. And it just doesn't feel good. Like it it does not it has never felt good for me to watch Samurai Seven. If that makes any sense. It never I've never been like sitting down with Samurai Seven and been like, Yeah, let's do this. Let's let's lock and load. Let's watch some Samurai Seven. I have sat down to watch one episode and looked up and it had been three episodes because I was not paying attention and been like, oh, that, that's unfortunate. I should, it should demand more of my attention than that. But yeah, I, so if you want to attempt to watch the show, there are two options for you, I guess. There is Hulu. You can watch it on Hulu. You can also watch it dubbed. Um, on Funimation. The, probably the coolest part of the show is the eye catch, where they show them on, like, a dis on, like, a distant, on, like, a distant plane, and there's smoke going by, and they have like, traditional Japanese music. But, like, that, a good eye catch to not a good show make. <laughs> Does that make any to be fair to a great eye catch? And it's just, there's so many better samurai anime you can watch. You can even watch rerun Samurai Girls, which I have um, a uh, Yaj- a Jubei figure from whose ass is staring at me in the face right now. But it, I don't see a need for you to watch Samurai 7. If you want to watch that story, literally just go watch 7 Samurai. You'll be better off. For so many reasons. Um, it is an immensely better film than this thing is a show. Um, it's just it's unfortunate because they were tasked with doing what could have been a really excellent anniversary ode to the Seven Samurai. What they ended up with is like kind of paced and it's not it's just not it's not worth the agitation to get through get through it and one of the reasons why <laughs> I did Lou over the wall last week and I did what did I did the week before I have a shitty memory and I did be started the week before was because I was continuing to attempt to get through Samurai 7, and I just couldn't. It was just, like, the most boring paste I could possibly imagine. Like, I would think about watching and be like, oh, no. Please, no. I, I, this is what would happen. I'd think about watching it, and then instead, I'd, like, play Overwatch for two hours. And, like, that, I know that's not a great bar, but sometimes life is life, is what I would say. So, on that note, I think I'm going to end this downer fest. And if you enjoyed this episode, if you enjoyed hearing me shit on Samurai 7 for 
at least 40 minutes, I would encourage you to go listen to my episode on Black Clover, where I drag that thing through the mud for, like, an hour. <laughs> um, but you can also hear me talk about plenty of shows I like and love, and you can also listen to the much more heavily edited and, like, fine-tuned Sunday edition, which um, this Sunday, as I said at the beginning of the show, is going to be all about what I'm calling build a theater, and that is how to build a great home theater setup for watching anime on any size screen at any quality you could possibly want. Um, because I have done that twice in the current place I'm living, as a, at like in two separate places. I have a theater room and a this standard like anime watching video game playing entertainment setup that is literally right behind me as I sit here recording this. Um, so look out for that this Sunday at around ten, which is the usual time I get those episodes out because I edit them beforehand and post them beforehand. They just go up. Unlike this one where I don't edit much and I chop in an ending and a uh, opening and an ending and an ad and I throw it at your ears. Um, but either way, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe. Give me a five-star rating. It really helps the podcast. But until next time, I've been Alex. And you've been listening to Lunchbox Radio. And I will talk to you on Sunday.「あたたかさ